Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive. What do you think is the ideal frequency to see an outdoor ad? Today, we're going to find out. Using cognitive science, we're going to find out how to maximize outdoor exposure. This is all courtesy of Dr. Alistair Good, a cognitive scientist and some research funded by UK outdoor companies, Prime Sight, Clear Channel, and Blow Up Media, as well as Kinetic. Dr. Alistair Good used some virtual reality headsets and a technique called the mirror exposure effect to determine how many times should you see an ad for it to get its maximum effect. Dr. Alistair Good, or Ali, is with Gorilla in the Room. Ali, where did the name Gorilla in the Room come from? Um, that is the inattentive bias experiment. So if you ever seen the, I forget, I forget, I get, I always forget the name of the guy who did it. But when you look at, you're asked to watch a film of two teams, and you're asked to follow the white team throwing a ball to each other. Basketball oh yeah, team. yeah. And then a guy comes in, in a gorilla suit and dances, and then moves off again because you're looking at the white team, not the black team. You ignore um, it, because you, you don't. When you're looking at the white team, you don't. You, you, your brain says ignore everything that's dark. And so you completely ignore this guy in a gorilla suit who comes up. <laughs> That's where the name comes from. And it wasn't actually mine. It was the it was uh, my colleague Jonathan's name. So uh, I will um, I'll, I'll share a link to that because it, it's a it's a it's a fascinating video to watch if if people have never seen it. Let's yeah. talk about um, the mere exposure effect and and I'm interested sure. in both the research and also the um, the way you did it with the the VR headsets that you were talking about. What how does uh, where did this come from and um, the the initial idea and the I guess the purpose for the research. So the there's been an assumption in the out of home industry in the UK for I probably I don't know about in North America but certainly in the UK there's sort of been this assumption that frequency of ad exposure should be around about seven and if you dig back into where that comes from it's pretty much somebody just sort of decided that felt right back in the 60s. <laughs> so there was there was no evidence for it. So There's a I lot of stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So I happened to work with a, or was, had a conversation with uh, the, my fantastic client called Jenny Roper at Kinetic Worldwide, a WPP agency. And she was, got it, she got interested in the mere exposure effect. And it happens to, happened to be part of what I did with my PhD, and I've used it before in the past. So, um, the mirror, do you know about the mirror exposure effect at all? Uh, no. Fine. Okay. So, basically, if you are presented with something, and even if you were presented it at a level which is subliminal, um, that means you so you can be presented something for about um, a tenth, uh, sorry, a, a ten milliseconds, which is you know a hundredth of a second. Um, when you come to categorize that in the future, that experience will taint your judgment. So, for example, if you saw a whole bunch of random shapes or Chinese words or anything, images, um, for a very short period of time, and then you did a test where you were asked a preference test between ones that you had been exposed to and ones that you hadn't been exposed to, you'd show a massive bias towards the ones that you've been exposed to. So it's probably one of the purest forms of um, purest forms of unconscious processing that you can actually demonstrate experimentally. 
Um, so I did this with a with about a long time ago now, nearly 15 years ago, with um, Sky, uh, the broadcaster in the UK, because it was when um, uh, TiVo came into this country, mm-hmm. and of course we were recording programs and fast forwarding through ads. And I did a nice little experiment that showed if you, even if you fast forwarded, went through ads at 30 times fast forward, you could still show that the ads were effective just by using this exposure effect because it's a, it's a very, it, it's one one of our fundamental things. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, I mean, the best theory I think that um, that uh, comes to it or explains it is that when we are encountering things in the world, um, we sort of need to learn about them and to integrate them into our mental representation and that doesn't happen on one encounter that happens over a number of encounters so the more we become familiar to something the more we want to learn about it then it reaches a peak where our sort of our liking of this thing increases to a um so you can show the exposures by doing a liking response preference so normally it's done on a liking scale how much you like this thing on a scale of one to ten, and you generally rate things that you've been exposed to much higher than things you haven't been exposed to. Um, so, with the exposure effect, um, it normally peaks out at around about eight or nine, and that kind of indicates where you've sort of learned enough about something um, for you not to need to give it that much attention anymore. So you're not drawn to it, um, and then it tails off. So you get this bell-shaped curve. As exposures increase, then it reaches a peak at a certain point and then decreases afterwards. So this is where the conversation started with kinetic, because obviously that is a nice little kind of model of a way to understand frequency. Because obviously if you're exposed to an ad, um, you, you know, you're not going to learn everything immediately. And there's going to be things and bits about it. And it's a, it's a new piece of new creative thing in your, in your environment. So you sort of your interest towards it increases up to a certain point to a peak, which is like, you know, where you expect the maximum frequency to be, and then will decrease again. And it matches kind of where in and where out that we know advertising has. So that's where the basic principle of the mere exposure effect and using it came from as a, as, as a, as a way of understanding um, how to uh, model frequency and model where in and where out. And then you, um, the experiment with the uh, headsets was to uh, determine out of home and and how often uh, or how that matched up with with exposure yeah so the key problem that you would have in doing this any other way would be that you can't really put cameras on people and um then work out how many times they might have been exposed to an advert because they don't know if they even if they were in its presence you don't know whether they actually saw it or not Mm mm-hmm um, and if you gave people a forced exposure by just showing them a picture, that's not really a analogous to the real world experience of walking through a busy street and it being becoming exposed to an ad. Mm-hmm. So we were sort of playing with this idea of um, uh, of mere exposure and exposing people to ads. We thought, well, you know, the ideal would be obviously you need a new ad that people have never been exp- exposed to. And you need multiple exposures, and you need a realistic setting. So what we were able to do, and what we knew we could do, is go out and take 360 video. Um, so that's where a video where you can basically look, you know, look in all around you, um, and then CGI new ads into um, those scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went out and filmed um, 
48 sheet and six sheet uh, poster sites in a uh, city in London, in, uh, in the UK, and then CGI'd new ads into those sites so that they, were, they looked as if they were naturally there. But they were all ads from, the, uh, from North America that had never been released in the UK. So no, that you know, nobody in the UK would have ever seen them. Well, it was highly unlikely anyone mm-hmm. would have seen So then we set up the experiments so that people had between four and 16 exposures to those ads. So they'd go in, they'd be given street scenes. We didn't tell them what the, what the study was about. We just said, we're going to show you some VR. So the way we set up the, the mechanics of it is that we sent out Google Cardboard headsets to um, an online panel who mm-hmm. we worked with. Um, they were then recruited because they had the right kind of phones and we were using a sort of nationally representative sample of respondents. So we weren't, as long as they weren't kind of rejectors of the brands, we were kind of happy with them. Um, we then said, okay, so we first group we saw four we said okay we're going to show you four street scenes this is about observation in virtual reality you're just going to be asked about the experience that you had and they saw the four films and then did the questionnaire about the advertising that they would have been exposed to and the group that did 16 exposures they had four three sessions where they saw these four um scenes yeah scenes of um, I mean, they were all different scenes, I hasten to add, so we didn't sort of a show repeat the same thing. Uh, well, we did, we, re- uh, we had eight films in total, so they repeat, they saw the same thing twice, but we staggered it so that they probably shouldn't have noticed that was the case. And then at the end of the 16 exposures, they did the same test as the people uh, started four exposures. So, and this was split across four different ads and... I think 16 different locations. So two ads were 48 sheets, two ads were six sheets. It's a, it's a really neat way to do that sort of testing because there's, uh, I imagine anyway, in that VR environment, there's a lot of other things going on. So it's not like you, like you said, you're not just holding up a, yeah. uh, an outdoor board and saying, what do you think? Exactly. Yeah. So we wanted to try and get it to be, and so we were, we deliberately chose places and scenes that we shot, which were, you know, there were, there were cars going past, buses going past, there were people walking around, people cycling, there were kind of, you know, there was stuff going on in the street, which is what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, people, uh, and then and then they were, you were asked um, to recall or to have a favorable response to um, different brands? So one person, uh, each person only ever saw one ad. And then at the end, we asked them to rate how much they liked the ads, all four ads that were in the study. So, for example, we had an ad for um, Coca-Cola. So the people who were exposed to Coca-Cola also then rated um, the other three ads. I think it was McDonald's, Barocca and um, Nissan. Mm -hmm. So that way we could get a measure of the ads when they had been exposed to people at different levels and of course when they haven't been exposed at all Mm -hmm. and that's how you could make the comparison between all the different exposures and uh and i'm dying to know now was the frequency seven was it is that the magic number still no (laughs) no um it was 
it's uh, it's around we, we we're calling it 10 it's oh, wow. in the kind of 8 to 10 sorry sorry 8 to 12 bracket but 10 sounds about right mm-hmm. and that's where the peak was so we were able to demonstrate that actually the effective frequency was higher than had been expected or higher than had been assumed before yeah so after 10 is it uh does it drop into a negative again or is it just a diminishing return like just uh, it has no effect yeah um, no, so if so the increase happened so about so up to 16 exposures you're probably scoring about the same as you would for about eight exposures it just it peaks out in the middle mm-hmm. where the peak was it doesn't sort of drop off a cliff it sort of goes up to a peak and then drops down again it's a bell-shaped curve yeah it's not going to get any better yeah, you know, you've, you've reached your maximum and you can then, you know, it's diminishing return. You're not, you know, you're still going to get something out of it, but you, you, you'll, you want to jump out where you're top, where you're peaked out of the top. And that's where we got, where we got about 10. So. And were you surprised by that? Um, no, not at all. Um, I think, I mean, usually if you quote across the board for exposure effects, um, it depends on many, many different factors. Um, how much this frequency goes up. You can get it. The number I would normally quote for a simple experience in an experiment is around about seven or eight. Um, So, you know, maybe that was what the original number was based on. But it depends on how you show it to people, how complex the image is, um, the way in which you present it. And all of these things can change the number. And because adverts tend to be relatively complicated pieces of stimulus, and also because we were showing it in a, 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 a way which probably meant there was going to be some distraction going on as well, then the fact that it peaks out at a higher number was pretty unsurprising. Mm-hmm. And were they? Were you just asking them sort of uh, uh, whether they liked or their, their, how much they liked the brand or, or how much they... The precise question was... Report, ask on a scale of one to ten how this, ad, or answer on a scale of one to ten how this ad makes you feel. We chose that because that had been used previously in an ad, academic study to elicit an exposure effect, um, but also then was demonstrating that the person did have a sort of if the emotional reaction to the ad was one that they were self-attributing. So they were saying, "Yeah, this ad makes me feel." good or bad so that's why we chose that do you have any do you have any theories or thoughts as to uh time frames or like the uh how how uh condensed those uh exposures need to be we because of the practicalities of the study we were doing it in blocks of four but we allowed a minimum amount of time between those blocks of four and for up to the up to these sixteen um, exposures, they happened between two and eleven days. Mm-hmm. So it was a credible time frame under which these happened. Obviously, you know, you could imagine it being like walking around doing four visits to a town centre over a number, over a few days. I sure, yeah, like, just or on uh, your daily or you on your daily commute a, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it was analogous to a kind of a commute to work and a commute back from work, for example. 
But, you know, we, we, I mean, in an ideal world, we'd have loved to be able to space it out a bit more. But, you, ha- you know, we're constrained by a certain amount. Mm-hmm. But we're constrained a little bit. But certainly it was, it was more... Um, it was much more naturalistic than you know, had we just plonked pictures in front of them and said, now look at this five times or 20 times or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. But maybe with, a, with an effective placement and an effective creative, you could, the time frame didn't need to be as long as, as we might think. Um, this is where my knowledge starts to fail a bit because i'm not a media planner i love researchers because you'll never you'll never kind of or academic because you'll never sort of uh just sort of put your own guess in there but well my the i i i at the very start of my academic career i had very great pleasure of working with a chap called christopher longbert higgins who coined the phrase cognitive science he sort of he invented the phrase and one of the thing, one of his kind of uh, most common, uh, most wise things he'd say was sometimes the cleverest thing to say is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I stick to that one. I think in that it's one of those questions where if I were a, there are lots of different factors in there which would then, which could affect it. So the answer to your question is yes, but there's probably other factors as well. Hmm. And even over the 11, like when it, was there any difference between those who saw it in a shorter time frame and a longer time frame, or that just wasn't part of this at all? Uh, no, there wasn't. We didn't see anything different. Oh, that's, that's really fascinating. And, uh, I wonder where could people learn more about, um, your work and, and even this, this particular piece of research? Um, there, I think we have a, we do have a case history on our website and there's a link there to a media tell article that was out about it. Um, and I'm holding out till a bit later on this year, um, and putting it in for an award, but I will be writing, I have, have already written an academic paper on this. Um, but it's, it's sort of in preparation and I've not sent it off to the publisher yet to be reviewed so and because uh, we're actually following up with some other work this year on this so looking at other other elements so kinetic were rather chuffed with the results so they've come back and they've commissioned us to do more work on this about sort of exposure and other things that will aff- that will affect um how you respond to advertising and i can't say anything yet but the one that's actually going out shooting it on Friday, um, that's going to be a really interesting study. Quite, yeah, that's going to be very entertaining to do. But, oh, fun! Uh, so, but we got and we've got another another follow up uh, on this mirror exposure effect work planned. So there's a, there's a few technical things about when it's going to happen, but it, we're sort of planning to do a do a follow-up study on this mirror exposure effect as well oh i will be uh i'll be on the lookout for that and uh probably reach out to you or see if we yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll keep you uh, if when it happens so i'll definitely let you know wonderful and um ali where um is it gorilla in the room uh is where people could connect up with this yeah so 
GorillaITR.com is our web site. So, I mean, if we're doing a, the work we do is, I mean, it's one of those weird things that I'm a, I'm a cognitive scientist and I sort of got into this. I mean, I got into the virtual um, virtual reality and visual technology because I've always been suspicious of self-report. And then when I could realise I could actually transport people to places. So that's the other spiel about I didn't I'm, the bit of chunk I missed out in the middle, which I should which I should normally say is that. So if you are, so what the brain's designed to do is um, work in the now. Um, what research often does is asks people to consciously reconstruct the past or make a conscious reconstruction or conscious construction of the future. Um, brains aren't that. We, they're not as good as we like to think they are about retrieving information from the past. So the analogy I give there is um, if I ask you to think of your 10 favourite music albums that you've listened to countless times and then say, OK, now at this moment, tell me what all the tracks on those albums are in the correct order, you're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. But if you were listening to that music, that album, one track finishes, you probably know what the starting lyrics are, the starting the instrument is, the starting note is even, because the brain's just designed to sort of be in what happens next predictor. That's what it's designed to do. So if you're immersed in the situation, it just kicks out these sensations of like what's happening next, what's happening next, what happens next. Um, and that's what you get with visual technology, is you can immerse people in a situation and the brain just kicks out these sensations. So that's why I got into visual technology as a as a solution to the kind of thing that research has been needing for a long time, which is the ultimate a the ultimate end state of behavioural economics and Kahneman thinking is that we really aren't very good witnesses to our own behaviour. So what we can do is immerse people in an experience where they're responding as if it's happening now, even if it doesn't exist. So the big picture is, you know, creating retail spaces that people can walk around and interact with, creating um, three-dimensional products that don't exist yet and people can look at. So if, you, if you're a big organization and you're putting money behind a new big new product and, you, you know, you're doing between sort of six to eight kind of rounds of NPD research, you can just create something in visual technology very cost-effectively right at the beginning and just test them and you're saving yourself a fortune. Well, so, yeah, like you said, you really couldn't create a lab with all these outdoor. Um, no. Yeah. So it's that that's the kind of thing that we are that really excites me about this technology. So that's why that's why as a cognitive scientist, I end, cognitive scientist I end up doing this. So this project is sort of somewhere in between where we're using the virtual reality, but I'm still being a bit of a cognitive scientist because mm-hmm. I'm trying not to do any research at the moment. I'm trying not to be a researcher. It's very hard. But, <laughs> I keep getting, they keep being asked to do this stuff, and because my role in the company is to sort of develop, you know, is to develop these ideas and develop interest and demonstrate it, its efficacy, I, I, I find it very hard to say no to interesting projects like this one. So uh, I don't. I really, I, it is very interesting. It's fanc- and it's fascinating to talk to you, Ali. Thanks so much for again for taking the time. Um, huge apologies for being slightly tardy very tardy on, on <laughs> well life happens to all of us and i know we're, we're a giant time zone change here or difference between us so i appreciate you i guess staying a little later for uh for for us today no no it's, it's absolutely fine um, it's an absolute pleasure